This is Peter Franson from spiritblade.net. I'm thrilled to share with you this unique look into the origins of the Spiritblade audio drama trilogy. For more information about these cinematically produced full cast audio dramas, visit spiritblade.net. And right now, prepare to dive into this enhanced audiobook experience as we present Spirit Blade, a novel by Peter Franson. Part 6 The journey back to the camp was as silent as the journey away from it. But once within range, the hecklers called out again. Hey, look, it's the prophet of Yahweh! <laughs> Come on, old man, tell us another story before we go to bed. The time for stories is finished, Isaiah yelled for the whole camp to hear. I have told you what I came to tell, and now I will show your eyes what your mind could not accept. He turned and quickly began to throw the wood they had gathered onto the bonfire. As the flames built higher, more and more lost souls gathered in a circle around the dancing light. As each minute passed, the fire became louder until it seemed to issue an audible challenge to the strange old man. Finally, the last piece of wood had been dropped and the flames had been built to their highest. The crowd had swelled to more than 200 people. Each one of them looked in awe at the scorching tower that had risen to more than 12 feet above the ground. Isaiah looked down at the boy beside him and gave David one last smile before turning to the fire and stepping out of the crowd. The mass of bodies became still and the hecklers became quiet. This was the moment of ultimate truth. Isaiah could feel the heat of the flames beating in waves through his skin. As a boy, he had been party to dares and challenges with his peers. Each boy would see how long he could hold his hand over a lit candle. Some lasted two or three seconds. He had even known a boy once that had lasted just over five before pulling back his hand with a shout. Isaiah had never lasted more than one. For just a moment, as Isaiah stepped toward the fire, doubt gripped him. What if he could die tonight? What if he had misunderstood somehow? What if he was indeed a madman? A scrap of paper skipped across the ground just in front of him, carried by a small gust of wind. Isaiah looked again up to the stars for comfort. He was relieved to find that he could not see them. Without warning, a cloud cover had blown in from the east, bringing with it the reassurance that Isaiah so desperately needed. Acting before fear could take hold again, Isaiah took two large steps forward and boldly embraced the inferno. Women from the crowd screamed in horror as they watched a man seemingly commit suicide, but a blast of wind shot down from the heavens, scattering the flames to both sides of Isaiah. The air around him cycloned, gathering up the flames of the bonfire and carrying them in a raging white tornado of fury that spun about the man standing motionless inside. The entire crowd moved backward, dumbfounded at the display. Men turned to exclaim to their neighbor, only to realize that the roaring flames drowned out the human voice. Some of the older population fell to their knees, unable to take in the magnificent spectacle. In further demonstration, Isaiah lifted his right arm and slowly pushed it through the spinning wall of fire surrounding him. As his fingers made contact with the tornado, the wind changed current in anticipation, unnaturally swerving around his arm, carrying the flames away from his vulnerable hand. Pulling his arm back, he repeated the gesture with his other arm, provoking the same astounding results. As the wind picked up, Isaiah stepped through an open curtain of burning wind and down into the crowd again. Behind him, the cyclone erratically multiplied its strength, ripping the bonfire from the ground and carrying it into the sky. Stunned silence engulfed the entire camp. 
By this time, many more had fallen to the ground. Some even began lifting their hands to Isaiah in prayer to him. The only has come. He is here in our camp. No, Isaiah quickly reprimanded, kneeling beside the old woman who had cried out to him. The only has come. He is here. But I am not him. Rising again, he turned and faced the multitude. Now you have seen, he shouted, and this cannot be attributed to fortune or luck. It defies odds and all reason. It defies the natural laws we have come to take for granted, laws that only the God of all can defy. Isaiah turned to address the other half of the circle. He has given me power here tonight, and there are those among you who will be given power as well. Isaiah caught David's eye. Some who will be given even more than I. David's heart skipped a beat. He had almost seemed to be speaking directly to him. But what kind of power could he mean? David couldn't imagine possessing anything like the power Isaiah had displayed. And this power is to serve one purpose alone. To display the glory and power of the only and bring liberation to the hearts, minds, and bodies of the world. His voice echoed like thunder, electrifying the crowd, who spontaneously erupted into shouts of victory. David was the only one that had suddenly become afraid. If Isaiah had been somehow referring to him, he wasn't ready for the responsibility that kind of power would bring. The responsibility to use it selflessly, solely for the glory of the only. Still, he watched and listened as Isaiah continued to inspire the crowd. That night, David remembered... Freedom had come to their camp, and more than twenty men left to find their destiny with the stranger. He had been one of them. Eight months later, David listened to the perpetual hiss of the life support system recently installed in Isaiah's hover chair. Isaiah sat at the end of the conference table and motioned for David to sit. The door closed behind him as David sat down at the right hand of Isaiah. David tried not to confess with his eyes the sense of fear that gripped him as he examined Isaiah's continually withering features. A far cry from the stranger that came to your campground, isn't he? Isaiah said, as though speaking of someone else. I'm sorry, sir, I, I didn't mean to stare, David apologized. Don't worry, my boy. I have to struggle not to stare myself when I look in the mirror. The old man paused and searched David's eyes. You know what this is, don't you? He reached across with a liver-spotted hand and touched David's. David solemnly looked at the tabletop. Yes, Isaiah answered. Of course you do. The rest will have an explanation tonight at the assembly. But you've already seen this in your dreams, haven't you? No, sir. David looked up at his guide, trembling. The dreams are gone. Now I hear his voice. Isaiah withdrew his hand sharply in shock. Already? His eyes darted back and forth, processing the new information. Abruptly, the uncertainty left his face as he stiffened and reached again for David, this time with both hands. Then we are running out of time. Soon you will speak for Yesu. No, Isaiah, I cannot lead these men. Listen, boy. Isaiah leaned forward and dropped to a whisper, but intensified his articulation of each word. Another will lead them. But you will speak for Yesu. His purpose will be made clear through you, but the plan will be orchestrated by the one to come. After tonight, you will wear the flaming cross on your arm so that all men here will know that the spirit of the Creator burns within you. You will be the vessel of God's power, 
his instrument of both healing and destruction. Your foes will have no power over you while God commands your life. Keep him at the forefront of your every desire. Live only to serve him. Isaiah tightened his grip on David's shoulders. Beware the power. David seemed confused. We fight a daily war, David, and there is much pain and suffering, but vengeance is Jesus alone, and though we may act as tools for it, we must never revel in it, for when we do, we make ourselves out to be God. We take joy in something that is his right alone. His voice took on an urgent warning. You will act as a tool for vengeance on many occasions, and so this you must remember above all else. Tears welled up in David's eyes. Why, he thought to speak, why can't you stay and help me? Isaiah looked on the boy that had come to love him and blinked back the glistening in his own eyes. With faltering voice, he answered, Look. He reached into his breast pocket. I have something for you. He pulled out a leather strap on which hung a small sapphire. Ran has an unusual gift. Have you met Ran? Yes, sir, David said. The only has given him the knowledge which links the technological to the spiritual. I am unsure how he is able, but he can create devices from metal and wire and earthly physical objects that have a link of some kind to the spiritual realm. He pushed the necklace across the table and let it rest in front of David. This is one of them. David picked it up and turned it over in his hand. I asked him to create it. It is for you. I do not know what my life will be when I leave this body, but as long as the stone is warm, you can know that I am free and alive and fulfilled. With a certain reverence, David tied the strap around his neck and let the stone fall to his chest. He touched the stone with one hand to be sure of its warmth. And should my king ever send me to be near you, you will feel it in the warmth of the stone. The shine in his eyes overflowed as the first tear rolled down his cheek. In this way, I will always be with you. David broke into a sob and gripped the stone with both hands, crying into it. No time. We've had no time. Servo motors hummed as Isaiah's chair swiveled around to bring him next to David. Isaiah put a nurturing arm around the boy, and the two held each other and wept. You have been invaluable to me, David, as more than just a soldier. Isaiah's tears ran down the boy's face, mingling with David's. Yesu, in his love, brought me a son. The others would... Never understand, David realized as he sat alone in Merrick's living block. David pulled on the strap around his neck until the warm sapphire rose from underneath his shirt. None of them had known Isaiah in the same way that he had. None had been loved by him the way that he had. And none had failed him as greatly. Vincent had been crouched in the same position for close to three hours now. Not once had he moved. During his days with Atlantis, roosting for this long would require flexing and occasional stretching to avoid muscle cramps or numbing. After a few hours, his knees would have begun grinding with the slightest movement. He should have been in agony, but the rules are different here. 
The spirit realm shares as little or as much in common with the physical world as the individual shifter permits. By definition, the spiritual world is devoid of all things physical. Space, light, matter, and even to some degree, time, are absent. The first time Vincent had shifted had been a nightmare. Unprepared for the world of purely spiritual things, Vincent was nearly driven mad by his mind's inability to grasp its existence. Every waking moment of his life had been based on space, time, and form. But in the spirit world, these things have far less meaning, sometimes none at all. Only the faithful prayers of Isaiah had brought him out safely. Isaiah taught him how to prepare for the transfer. "'Calm yourself, Vincent,' he had said one day as they sat alone in the city park. The plague had only begun to consume him. He resided in the body of a healthy 40-year-old man. "'Did you know that to fear is to deny Jesus' reign in your life?' All right, listen, Daniels, Vincent said, leaning intensely into Isaiah's face. I really appreciate you helping me sort this out, being the super enlightened guy that you are. But you didn't make the last trip into this ghost dimension of yours. It was like nothing you've ever seen in your most cracked-up nightmare. No doubt, Isaiah agreed. We are not meant to be inhabitants of that world until we have passed from this one. Until that moment comes, Isaiah smiled. You work in computers, don't you? Vince nodded. Well, as humans, we simply aren't formatted correctly yet, including you. And until you are, that realm will make no sense to you. Vince exhaled in frustration. I thought you said when I came to you about this that it was a gift that your amazing deity would use me to combat the evils of the world. Vince stood and waved his arms dramatically. How the fritz am I going to do that if I get the grack sliced out of me every time I go in? I'll say it again, Vince. Isaiah smiled. Calm yourself. Only after submitting to the request of his new acquaintance did Vince find the answers he'd been looking for. As the two sat together in the park, Isaiah explained to him the unseen world that he would one day know better than any man alive. Astrum, Vincent, Isaiah said. We start with Astrum. Vince raised a skeptical eyebrow but kept silent. Grand Unified Theory states that there are four fundamental forces in the physical universe. These forces are active and are part of the building blocks of physics. Strong nuclear force, which binds protons and neutrons together in the nucleus of an atom. Weak nuclear force, responsible for radioactive decay as the nucleus of an atom breaks down. Gravity, which keeps me from flying away from your fascinating science tutelage. And electromagnetic force, Isaiah finished, smiling patiently. Yezu designed all of these as part of his building blocks for the universe, but they do not complete the list. Immeasurable by the science of man, there is a fifth force which God created to bind the universe, and that force is Astrum. It exists now only in the spirit world, yet without it, the physical universe would be ripped apart. It is the binding force that holds the other four together. Without it, they could not function as they do. It is raw power created by the only and used to create the universe. However, it was not depleted once the fires of creation had gone cold. Yesu created enough to permeate the entire universe even to this day. We live every moment surrounded, filled with astrum. It governs the laws, the physics, if you must perceive it that way, of the spiritual world. It acts as a conduit for our prayers, instantly sending our needs, Lord willing, to the armies of heaven, who respond in great numbers, though we cannot see them. It is a tool that the angels use in battle. It responds to their will, granting them renewed strength or weapons to strike down the scourge of hell. 
In ancient times, although they may not have known, Yesu gave men power over Astrum to bring demons to their knees, forcing them to flee the bodies they had sought to overcome. It is the most powerful tool in the universe, and you will wield it. Whoa, power down your reactors, pal, Vince chuckled, shaking his head. How am I going to do that if I can't even navigate in this spirit world? Grack, what am I saying? If there's no space, there's nowhere to even navigate, Vincent spattered. You're right, you're right, Isaiah grabbed his arm, trying to calm him again. In the end, you must realize that you will always fail. He locked eyes with the young man. Realize that each time you enter, you must commit your spirit completely to Yesu. Surrender your agenda to his. Once you have done that, he will allow you to see that world in a way you will understand. How? Isaiah sculpted in the air in front of him. For your sake, he will allow your mind to create the illusion of space, time, and substance. You will see other beings there, both angels and demons. Your mind will create an image of them as you might see them were they physical. Their spiritual aspects will be translated, given visual form. And amidst all, you will remain able to see the physical world, although you will have no real interaction with it. Vincent's eyes became distant as he considered the possibilities in his mind. But be cautioned, Vincent, Isaiah warned. Only humans who put their trust in Yesu have access to the Astrum. But demons have no such restrictions. Lucifer is the prince of the power of the air. The power of the air, Vincent began to realize, is Astrum, Isaiah finished. And until Yesu returns, Lucifer has almost unlimited control over it. And to a lesser degree, so do many of the angels that fell with him. The memory faded as the room Vincent kept watch over became still. From the vacant choir loft, he could see the entire congregation, close to 400 this morning. Not bad for a weekday morning mass, Vince thought. Of course, religion was becoming more and more popular these days, especially since the Catholic Church, a victim of the WCU, was wiped of nearly all absolutes in its teachings. Here they worshipped the goddess Mariana. So much of her legend had been lost over time, but Vincent had made regular attendance to this church a priority. Isaiah had told him once that there was a link between Mariana and Yesu, but that knowledge had been lost as well. Isaiah seemed convinced that if the link could be uncovered, those of the Catholic Church would be among the first to rise up and join the liberation. Vince was continually staggered by the idea. The Catholic Church was nearly one-third the size of the World Church of Unity. To have that many people join the cause of the liberation would almost certainly mean victory. Vincent's train of thought was interrupted by a man in black that had just entered from the back. Carrying himself confidently, the dark-haired man in black shirt, slacks, and tie strode down the center as the priest continued his sermon and took an aisle seat in the fourth row. Quietly he sat, but neglected to remove the sunglasses shading his eyes. The acoustics were always so alive in this sanctuary. The priest need not be amplified. The room carried his voice without any trouble. One could hear the proverbial pin drop in this hall. It was a pity that from the spirit plane, Vince was unable to appreciate it. Then why, Vince wondered, had he heard each of this man's steps? He continued to watch from afar as the man in black leaned in front of the woman next to him, turning so as to look her up and down. She paid him no attention, but seemed to stare through him to the pulpit where the priest stood. Hmm, yummy little lady, aren't you? The man in black said to her, sugar running on each word. It's been so long since I've been sinful, he said, pleading. Then, rethinking, amended, well, sinful in that way. He took a moment and leaned in further, taking in a deep breath through his nose. 
I can almost smell you, he moaned. Listen, why don't we... Start with your name, Vince finished, standing next to him now. Vincent's black trench coat flapped slightly in the astrum winds as he prepared to summon his blade. The man pivoted in his seat and stood to meet Vincent. Vincent Kraft, he smiled, giving Vincent a quick scan. Sorry, that one's taken, Vincent answered. Pick another. My apologies, the man bowed slightly, but I have no name. I'm the firstborn son of a new ideal, he stated with pride. I am the unification of the natural and the supernatural, existing with empowerment over both realms, yet not completely residing in either. A mouthful, Vincent said dryly. What do your friends call you? My subjects, he corrected, reference me with an old name used by what could be taken to be my ancestral cousins. They call me the Lord Nephilim. Vincent's eyes narrowed for only a moment before he fastened the hilt of his blade back into its pouch. Disarmedly, Vincent released a relaxed sigh as he sat in an empty spot on the pew across the aisle from his new acquaintance. Well, Nephi, I gotta tell you, I'm just thrilled to meet you, he breathed sarcastically. To what do I owe the pleasure of your visit to this lowly domain? Actually, the Nephilim said, sitting opposite Vincent, resting his head on folded hands, I'm here to see you. Vincent eyed him critically but hid any look of suspicion. He'd never seen this being before. He didn't appear to be demonic, but looks could always be deceiving in this realm. For a brief moment, Vincent silenced his mind and asked for Yesu's guidance in determining the nature of this creature. I told you what I am, Vincent, and Yesu will tell you the same, more or less. The man smiled behind his sleek, reflective shades. Vincent's concentration was broken. Somehow, the Nephilim had intercepted or shared in the transmission of his prayer. Don't bother hiding your surprise, he grinned confidently. Astrum is the vessel for prayer, and when you pray from here, the message is easily read by any who wish to know it. He looked deeply into Vincent's eyes, particularly those given the natural ability to do so, as I have been. Insight began to flow into Vincent's mind in response to his prayer, and he gained an understanding of the abomination before him. You're human? Not in the purest sense of the word, no. The Nephilim leaned back, relaxed now, but enough to take advantage of the benefits. The revelation continued to pour into Vincent's mind, giving him sudden realization. You're a demon, aren't you? He asked rhetorically. What cast? No, actually, I don't play that game. The demon smiled with twisted lips. Well then, Vincent said, falsely impressed. It's been a while since I danced with an overlord. Wrong again. Think bigger, little man. Vincent couldn't place it, but there was something strange about the Nephilim's sunglasses. Behind the lenses, the light seemed to be swallowed up, yet something could almost be seen churning, active, around his eyes. All right, fine, the demon gave up. Here's a dead giveaway. He reached up and snatched off his glasses, releasing a cloud of dark terror that erupted from empty sockets and flooded Vincent's soul. Vincent was flung backward by the force of the eruption, sailing over the heads of unsuspecting churchgoers and slamming into the wall of the sanctuary. Recovering quickly, Vincent kicked himself back to his feet, his blade already formed and poised for a rending blow. You're a prince! The Nephilim replaced his glasses and smiled as he casually walked across the laps of oblivious members of the congregation. Lifting his hands in surrender, he approached Vincent in admiration. Now that is an elegant weapon, he whispered with electric reverence. The vaunted spirit blade I've heard so much about. Want a closer look? Vince threatened softly. The Nephilim offered his hands apologetically. I'm not here to fight you, Vincent. Forgive my somewhat dramatic demonstration of identity. Vincent remained frozen, his eyes sharp, his will focused. The demon saw little hope for anything better and sat again on the edge of a pew. 
Vincent, I'm here to bless you. My only aim is to offer you that which Yesu cannot. The demon waited for any sign of interest, but finding none, continued anyway. Power, Vincent. Oh, I salivate at the sound of the word. The creature leaned in closer and whispered, And I know, somewhere deep inside, so do you. Disarming the blade, Vincent turned to leave. This discussion is over. The Nephilim evaporated into smoke and reappeared to block Vincent's exit. Is it? Vincent, our game has just begun. Vincent momentarily pushed off from the floor, manipulating his perception of gravity, sending him skipping off of the wall beside the demon, spinning 360 degrees and landing again to continue on his unobstructed path out of the sanctuary. I don't play by your rules, he responded without looking back. The ornate double doors in front of him splintered and bled crimson as horrific organic life enveloped Vincent's escape route. The bizarre flesh continued to grow, producing maggot-infested arms that reached for Vincent, while half-finished mouths filled with rotting teeth wailed his name and screamed in agony. "'I'd rethink that if I were you,' the demon said quietly, preferring his actions to speak the loudest. "'Such is the fate of humanity, Vincent.' To live for only a dot on the line of eternity, then die and spend eternity in agony. But join us, and you're on the winning team. Vincent, still facing the monstrosity manufactured by the Demon Prince, steeled himself and turned to face his nemesis. Are you so sure, Demon? We've uncovered some interesting documents over the years regarding you and your kind, and how you stack up when Yesu gets in the picture. Ah, the demon beamed in commendation. You've been reading about Johnny Boy's revelation. The demon smiled in recollection, placing his hands in his pockets and remembering, Yeah, great guy. Got a little senile in his old age. Made him a great fantasy author, though. Welcome to reality. Your time's coming to an end. Vincent's eyes flashed with fire as Astrum began to almost unnoticeably cloud around him. Oh, come, come, Vincent, the demon stamped disapprovingly. You can't truly believe in all those fairy tales about the end of the world. God coming to save his people. I mean, sure, he admitted. It looks good on paper and sounds nice just before bed, but I know you better than to think you really believe it. Turning away and folding his hands behind his back, the demon began to wander the room casually. Let me offer you a little slice of reality. Yesu's time is nearly finished. The Shada have seen to that. Their technological wonders have remade the world, and in return, the world has given up its soul. We rule your civilization without your consent or even your knowledge, and our rule here is merely in its infancy. We're going to remake humanity. God stopped creating after the sixth day, but we're tired of sitting in this stagnant stinkhole. We're going to breathe new life into this planet. The demon flashed a brilliant smile with shaded eyes. Eternal life. You've been listening to the audiobook edition of Spirit Blade, written and narrated by Peter Franson, with music by Unique Tracks and Jason Livesay. To experience the groundbreaking, cinematically produced audio dramas based on this story, visit www.spiritblade.net. Thanks for listening. The future. A world where the quest for truth is a thing of the past. Look, your truth just isn't true for me, okay? The truth does not require your belief. It simply is, regardless of your personal convictions. I think the world's been blinded, Ebony. Everybody claims to be spiritual, whatever the drac that means, but nobody really knows anything about the spiritual world. Merrick, this is crazy. You can't talk like this. And they'll do anything to keep it out of our future. It's Atlantis! They found us again! 
An alien race has blessed us with amazing technology. Merrick, the world we live in is incredible. While a race of demons destroys who we are. Do you believe in the supernatural, Mr. Vandarius? We shall believe in your blood, humans. <laughs> Brothers, tonight marks the end of our subjection to the only. <laughs> Humanity will be wiped from the map of history. We've traveled across our world and even into another. What we can see with our eyes is of little consequence in the grand scheme of things. It is what occurs in the other worlds around us that should have us concerned. What the press just happened? Was that the... The other world. We've been hunted by humans, aliens, and things I don't have a name for. I'm the future, Vincent. The ultimate life form. There's too many of them. One goes down and three more take its place. All because we're looking for the one weapon that can bring an end to this conflict forever. Give me the sword! A weapon known only as the Spirit Blade. Oh, I can feel its power from here. Oh yeah, well tell me what this feels like. For more information, visit spiritblade.net.